Turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 13, uh, verses 53 to 58. And then we're going to do all of chapter 14. So we're going to, we're going to move ahead a little bit uh, quicker today. By the grace of God, I'll finish. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, let's open in prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for this time to gather together. Lord, this is your house. It's where your people come, Lord, to meet you. We come to this place, Lord, because we want to hear your voice. We want to hear your word. We want to worship you. And Lord, I pray that we would leave this place today knowing, Lord, that we were touched by you. I pray for those that are in our midst, Lord, that need a touch from you. I pray that, Lord, there'd be no distractions in our minds this morning, Lord, that we would be able to focus in on what you have to say. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this morning's message, Lessons in Faith and Unbelief. And this we spent actually three weeks just in, the cha- uh, in chapter 13 looking at seven parables of Jesus. Now, all seven of those parables, I believe, were strategically placed there by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's nothing in God's Word that's, that's just put there by random. There's a purpose and a place for all of it. Jesus... He finished these parables with a question for his disciples in verse 51. He said, have you understood all these things? And their response to Jesus was, yes, Lord. Just a simple, yes, Lord. Well, we know that as time went on, there were a number of things that the disciples didn't still get. They didn't quite understand everything But as Jesus taught them these parables, this instruction, they said, yes, Lord, we understand. Going back, though, into this chapter, uh, in chapter, uh, the disciples, they they told Jesus in, in verse 13, or Jesus told his disciples, excuse me, in verse 13, that he spoke parables because there are those that were there that were, had hearts of unbelief. And they weren't able to see, they weren't able to understand the spiritual truths that Jesus was wanting to convey. We're told that Jesus said, nor do they understand. We finished the explanation of the sower where Jesus gave that understanding to his disciples of what that parable meant. And he's telling his disciples that this seed that fell on good ground is the person who receives and hears the word, and then it says, and understands it. You see, that's what's important. We hear a lot with our ears. We, we can read, we can hear, we can hear the word of God taught. But God, give us understanding. Help us to understand what you're saying and what this means. How it applies to me. We pick up the narrative this morning in verse 53. Look at your Bibles. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there, speaking about Capernaum, where he was ministering at down there uh, in that house there in Capernaum. And when he had come to his own country, which is a reference to his hometown of Nazareth, we're told that he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joses, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And then look what it says in verse 57. 
So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not, mean, and now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. God help us. New Testament Christians. Christians living today, right now, that we would not operate our, in our Christian walk in unbelief. God help us. That we would actually believe what we read and what we hear and the promises that God has given to us. These were people that knew our Lord. This was a city that he grew up in, Nazareth. It was Jesus' hometown. It was actually only located about 20 miles, a walking distance in a day, from Capernaum to his hometown of Nazareth. It was the city that Joseph and Mary took Jesus back to after they brought him out of Egypt and brought him into this this town, we could call it, of Mary, where, where Mary grew up herself. It's been estimated that this small little village, we might call it, ranged anywhere from 200 to 600 people. Not very big town. Real small. Very insignificant. But that's where our Lord was raised. It's where He grew up. Possibly for up to 28 years. The silent years of his life spent there in this village of Nazareth. Remember that it was Nathaniel that said to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Uh, Growing up in Nazareth was like growing up on the wrong side of town. It wasn't the place that would have been desirable. But that's where our king chose to be raised, there in Nazareth. Here he is coming back to his hometown again. And we're told that when he came into the city, that he went into the synagogue. This was something that Jesus did quite often, even as he was moving around the area of Galilee. He would go into the synagogue and he would teach them there. Synagogues weren't temples. Synagogues were gathering places. It's where the community came together. Actually, the word synagogue actually means gathering place or a gathering. That's That's what synagogue means in the Greek. This synagogue, this place where people would come They came there to hear the teaching of the Word of God. I read in doing a little bit of research that there were about 240 towns that encompassed this region, this county we could say, or this area, this large area of Galilee. 240 different villages and towns. And it's believed that wherever there was a population of Jews, then there was at least one synagogue that was in that city. Some of them that were larger had two. And so it was very common for Jesus to come into a city, find the synagogue that was there, and then go into that place and use it as a place to be able to preach and to teach. We're told in verse 54 that when they heard Jesus teaching, we're told that they were astonished. How does that look? How did the faces of the people look as they heard Jesus stand up and begin to teach them there with faces that were astonished at the things that they were hearing? They heard, and, and maybe some of them saw, but they heard about the mighty works. Mighty works are miracles. They heard about those things. They were astonished about the things that they were hearing come out of his mouth, the wisdom in which he spoke. But here's the heart of unbelief. 
Here's the people that were there in that place. People that knew Jesus. People that grew up with him. They were astonished at his words. They were astonished at his works. But they were offended. They were offended at him. Their hearts of unbelief wouldn't allow them. They couldn't understand. They didn't understand. We know that Jesus' parents and and, and possibly Mary at this time was still living there. Not much is said about Joseph afterwards. We don't know what happened uh, to him if his life was cut short early. But we know that possibly Mary was still living there. We know that his brothers, and Jesus did have physical brothers, half-brothers. He had sisters, and they would have been probably still living in this town, this village. But the people that knew Jesus, they're saying, where does this man get all of these things? We know him. They were offended at Jesus and this offense that they took towards him was like saying this, we don't believe. We don't believe that you're the one who you claim to be. Even though they heard and they maybe saw the miracles that he done, they heard the wisdom coming forth out of his mouth, yet they were offended. That's the opposite of faith, isn't it? They didn't believe. This prompted Jesus to make a point that a prophet is not without honor in his own hometown. You know, generally speaking, whenever a prophet would travel around and go to a city or an area, the Jews welcomed that. They, they, they wanted to hear from the prophets, those that were genuine prophets. They wanted to hear. They actually appreciated it. You know, John the Baptist, when he came on the scene in the wilderness preaching uh, repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we're told that hordes of people began to come out to him at the Jordan River as he stood there and he preached. And the people actually welcomed. They were interested. They wanted to go out and hear this prophet. Remember, there had not been a prophet there for the nation of Israel in over 400 years until John the Baptist came on the scene. They went out in hordes to hear him. And here's Jesus saying that a prophet, has, he's, he receives no honor in his own hometown. Not all the people of Jesus' hometown were able to believe. As I've been sharing in the past, there were those that already had their hearts set on unbelief. And when a heart is set on unbelief, it doesn't matter what you show them, what miracle you show them. They'll attribute it to Satan. They'll attribute it to this. But there's nothing that'll change. We also know that even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him, at least in the beginning. In John 7, 5, it says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. That's flesh and blood. That's that's his half-brother. They don't even believe that he's the Messiah. How many of you after you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, how many of you were uh, real quick to think, you know what, my first mission field is going to my family. I want to tell my family. I want to tell those people that I love. And then you came to see that, you know what, it was actually harder to witness to my own family members than it was to go find somebody on the street that I don't even know. And that's quite often the case. And Jesus was was experiencing that. He loved them. He loved the people of Nazareth. He went to that city even knowing they were going to reject. 
But it was hard, and, and he came there as a prophet. Remember, Jesus came as prophet. He also came, came as a priest. He also came as a king into this world. And he went, so to speak, into his own hometown as a prophet. Began to speak to them in their own synagogue. And they didn't believe. They were offended at him. Here's the problem. The people of Nazareth were walking by sight. They they weren't walking by faith. They were walking by sight. Because it, it didn't make sense to them. It didn't add up in their mind. They they couldn't reason it out in their minds. And what they saw with their eyes, they couldn't believe. And so they remained in their unbelief. You see, if you have a heart of unbelief, it doesn't matter. You'll remain with a heart of unbelief. But the Apostle Paul... He wrote something different to us as believers, didn't he? In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You see, faith and unbelief, they never go together. They don't mix. Faith and unbelief. Hebrews 11:1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, The evidence of things not seen. The evidence was all around them. He was in their midst speaking words of wisdom. They heard or they saw the miracles that he did, yet they couldn't see it and they couldn't understand it. That's the heart of unbelief. We see Jesus in Nazareth also, in Luke's gospel, in Mark's gospel. Now there's different people that have looked at this and thought, did Jesus go to his hometown more than once? It looks to me that he may have been there a couple of times. But the other gospel accounts are very similar to what we're reading here in Matthew's account, but there's some added things that are interesting to hear. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, this is what we read. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He was reading from Isaiah 61. And then we're told that he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and then Jesus sat down. And it tells us that the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him, and they marveled at the, at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is, not, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say to a proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also in your country. Then he, all, then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Nahum the Syrian. And then it says, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. They heard the word read right from their word. 
And they were filled with wrath and were told that they rose up and they thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill which where the city was built. Nazareth was on this, like a bowl shape with these mountains that lined the side of one side of it. And they brought him up there that they might throw him over the cliff. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? That's a heart of unbelief. And we're told that Jesus passed through their midst and he went his way. In Mark's gospel we read, Then he went out from there and he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works were performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Josie, Judas, and Simon? Are, and are not his sisters here with us? And then it says again, they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could not, now he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's it. They only got just a little bit. And Jesus had compassion. Jesus had this love. He wanted to touch the people. But because of their hearts of unbelief, he wasn't able to do it. He wasn't able to go in and perform the miracles that he wanted to do. And then we're told this, that Jesus now marveled at them. It says that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Here's Jesus now marveling back at them, their unbelief. It makes me wonder how many times has the Lord marveled at me in my unbelief? Am I going to trust you, Lord, with with the the cares and the worries and the anxieties of my life? Am I going to trust you? And we're told that Jesus went out of that city in a circuit teaching and going on. And he left Nazareth, never to come back again. We read back in chapter 4, verse 12, that when Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, that Jesus departed from Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he came and he dwelt in Capernaum. And that's the first time that Jesus probably came into his hometown at the beginning of his ministry. And then it says, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, which are the ancient names of this area of Galilee, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus was now in their midst. This was the beginning of his public ministry there in, in Galilee. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. Jesus began to preach during that time. And here's the words that came out of his mouth. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first words recorded out of the mouth of our Lord. In verse 23, we read, and Jesus, in chapter 4, verse 23, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. That was his threefold ministry, teaching and preaching and healing. It's what Jesus did for those three and a half years of his public ministry. When we got to chapter 9, we've already covered this, we began to see a change in Jesus' ministry. It went from popularity to one of opposition. First, he was very popular amongst the people, not much opposition. And then it began to change. Remember how Jesus was questioned by those scribes for healing a paralytic and then telling him his sins were forgiven. That riled them up. 
He was accused by the Pharisees for delivering and healing a mute and demon-possessed man uh, that he had cast out this demon. And then they they said, he's just doing it by the ruler of darkness, by the ruler of demons. That's how he's doing this miracle. He told his disciples in chapter 10 that persecution was coming. It's going to come upon you, but this is what Jesus told them. Do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. He was questioned about violating the law when his disciples plucked grains from the wheat, the wheat grains on the Sabbath rest day. He was also questioned when he healed a man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. You see, the opposition was beginning. And it was only going to intensify all the way to the cross. It was going to get even more. uh, He was going to experience more opposition. In chapter 12, the scribes who had witnessed the miracles and the signs of Jesus, uh, they still had their, they stood there with these hearts of unbelief. And then they asked Jesus for this. Show me a sign. Prove to me that you're the Messiah. Let a sign come down from heaven that might prove to us that you're a Messiah. That's the heart of unbelief. I need proof. You don't give me proof. Give me something more than what you're just, you know. Even the miracles weren't enough. We need a sign from heaven. The time of Jesus' popularity was dwindling. It was dwindling more and more. The closer he draws to the cross, the more intensified it gets. In chapter 4, we read that John the Baptist had been put in prison by Herod the Tetrarch, also known as Herod Antipas. In chapter 11, Matthew tells us that John the Baptist sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And John himself was beginning to question, are you the one we're waiting for? And now in chapter 14, Matthew records the details of John the Baptist's death. Matthew, in a sense, when we start chapter 14 here, is having a flashback. He's remembering back to the details of John the Baptist being beheaded. John, by this time and by chapter 14 here, has already been beheaded. He, this has already taken place. The details, I believe, that we're reading here about the actual death of John the Baptist is to be put into the narrative of what we're reading to let us know that opposition was increasing. It was beginning to grow. Look at your Bibles at chapter 14, verse 1. At that time. At that time means, or in this season, or in this particular time following this, we're told that Herod the Tetrarch heard a report about Jesus. And he said to his servants, that word servants there is literally boys. He said to his boys, not his literal sons, but just those younger men that he was speaking with. This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Here he is having this dialogue with his boys. And he hears this report about Jesus. And he starts saying, I think it's John the Baptist that's been risen from the dead. He starts attributing it to that. Herod Antipas was part of the Herod dynasty. Not a good family. Uh, There were a a number of Herods that, that ruled, but this Herod Antipas was the one that ruled all the way up until the time that Jesus himself stood before him. We know that Jesus stood before him at his trial. Listen to what Luke wrote about Herod Antipas when Jesus was put before him 
at trial. Luke 23, verse 6. When Pontius Pilate heard that Jesus was a Galilean, which was part of Herod's jurisdiction, remember that he was given the responsibility of Galilee and also of uh, Judea, that he sent Jesus to Herod Antipas, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, we're told that he was exceedingly glad. Just get this picture. He was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see Jesus. Because he had heard of the many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. So he's just sitting there thinking, let him perform a miracle in front of me. I want to see that. He wasn't saying this in a nice way. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't like Jesus. He didn't like hearing about the, and all the things uh, that people were saying about him that were bringing attention to him. Now he's just saying, I want to see some miracle done by him. And then it says, then he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. That's Herod Antipas all the way to the cross. This time of unpopularity that was continuing on in the life of Jesus, I believe is what Matthew is bringing out here in, our, in the context here. It says in verse 3, For Herod Antipas had laid hold of John, and he bound him, and he put him in prison for the sake of Herodias. Now, we know that uh, Josephus tells us that that prison was the prison of Macheris. That's actually there today. I've shown you all a picture of that before. They have found that place where John the Baptist was there near the uh, Dead Sea. It's called Macheris. It's on this hill. That's where he was taken to. But as John was there in prison, he began to proclaim righteousness to Herod Antipas. He began to speak against the things that he heard was going on because Herodias, which was uh, Philip's wife, here's Antipas now. She's leaving him and coming to Herod Antipas and becoming his wife. And John the Baptist, as outspoken as he was for righteousness, begins to speak against that. And he says, it's not lawful for you to have her. And although Herod wanted to put John to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias, which was Salome, she danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And so she, having been prompted by her mother, Herodias, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king was sorry, not a true sorrow, but the king was sorry, nevertheless, we're told, because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. And so he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then John's disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And then look what it says. They went and they told Jesus. Here's John the Baptist's disciples now going out and telling Jesus what they had just done to John the Baptist. Persecution was increasing. It was intensifying in the life of our Lord, but also for his disciples. Hearts of unbelief. There's a contrast, I think, as this narrative continues on. We can see in chapter 14 here, we can also see lessons of faith. And that's what I want us to be able to zero, on for, zero in on for us this morning is that Jesus now is entering into a period of his ministry where he's going to begin to teach his disciples some lessons in faith. And he's also wanting to teach us this morning some lessons in faith. This time period that this next portion of scripture is taking place is probably, the time, probably in the time of April, around Easter time. 
It was a pleasant time of year. We read in verse 13 that when Jesus heard about what had happened to John the Baptist, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. Now, it doesn't tell us why. He just went off to a deserted place, maybe to get alone, or maybe to take his disciples to get away for some rest. But he went alone, or he went off into a deserted place. But it says, but when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Now it's believed that this was also taking place at the time of the feast. And there would have been multitudes of people that were traveling the roads, heading their way down to Jerusalem for the feast or the festivities that would be taking place. So this multitude of people, they hear and they begin to, uh, that Jesus is in this place and they follow him by foot. They make their way. Here's Jesus now going across in a boat and the people are following around, going to the place where he's going to land. And when Jesus went out, he saw this great multitude and look what it says in verse 14. He was moved with compassion for them. And, and then it says, and he healed the sick. Even in getting away to this deserted place, and Jesus never turned anyone away. All that came to him, he just, he ministered. He had compassion. He had love for all that came to him. And then we're told that when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place. And the hour is already late, Jesus. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Mark's gospel tells us in chapter 6, verse 37, that, uh, that one of the disciples said, this is going to cost 200 denarii to feed this many people. 200 denarii. That's 200 days of labor. 200 days of work to feed this mass multitude of people that are here. Matthew 20, verse 2 tells us that one denarii is a day's wages. This is going to take a lot, Jesus. And you're saying, don't tell them to go away? In John's gospel, we read in chapter 6, verse 5, this same story that Jesus lifted up his eyes. And seeing this great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that all of these people may eat? But this he said we're told to test him. You ever been through that kind of testing? This Jesus said to him to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew. He just throws this out to Philip to test him. And then it it appears that Jesus probably said this to Philip earlier. Before he actually told them to, 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 we're going to take care of the people. They were already thinking about this, at least Philip. He was already pondering this thought. He was being tested by the Lord. We also read in John 6, 8, that one of his other disciples that was there, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But then he says this, but what are they among so many? We don't have enough. There's not enough here. Uh, It's just five and two fish. That's not enough. How many times have we said that? To the God that owns it all. To the God that that, that can supply all of our needs. 
There's not enough. We're short. Uh, oh, we're not going to survive. We can't do it. And he owns it all. And how often are we being tested in this same way in life? It's not enough. Let me ask you, how big is your God? How big is he? For some of us, our God's about that big. For some of us, he's this big. And for others, his whole presence fills the universe. He can do whatever he wants. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He can supply my needs. He owns it all. We read in verse 17 back in our text that they said to him, we only have here, we only have five loaves and two fish. This is the lesson in faith. He said, bring them here to me. That's what Jesus says to him now. He's, he's testing them and he's going to teach them a lesson in faith. Bring them here to me. And then Jesus commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took these five loaves and these two fish. And they were told that he looked up into heaven and he blessed and he broke it. And he gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples were the ones then that gave it to the multitude. A lesson in faith. Here it is multiplying as they're breaking it. It's multiplying and turning into more. And there's this multitude of people that are being fed. So much so that they all ate, it tells us in verse 20, and they were filled. They were full. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. One for each disciple. No waste. Gather up all the fragments, put it in, you know. And those disciples probably carried those fragments for a number of days. It probably fed them. But you know what's interesting about that is that they probably had to remember. All the time that they opened up that basket and they took some of that bread out of that basket, they had to remember those 5,000 that just got fed. The ones that we thought we didn't have enough. And here we are now living on the, just the remnants of that miracle. We're told that in verse 21, and now those who were eaten, had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. Church, this was a miracle. Do you know that that many people sitting about, and we read in one of the other Gospels that that they were put into groups, they gathered together in groups and circles and groups of people all on this grassy hill that it probably took up about two to three acres of all these people out there and all of this being passed around and all the people becoming full. God still does miraculous things. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have to believe that. When I read my Bible, I have to believe it. He hasn't changed. Let me remind us of something that has transpired for Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Six months ago, we put an offer in on a building. And five months ago, we were offered this building by Forest Hill Baptist for free. It was given to us. Have we forgotten that? What God has done? What God is able to do as that offer was turned down? And we didn't understand why, but it was turned down. God, you got something else then. Yeah, he had something else. I have a building I want to give you. Lessons in faith. Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Lessons in faith. God has blessed us. 
in a big way. God wants to do something here in this church in a big way. He's already doing something, but He has more. But not only did God bless us with this building, but the brothers and sisters of Forest Hill Baptists, they're going to give today to this church. They're going to give today to this church the balance of their checking account. They're going to give the balance out of their checking account to Calvary Chapel Fellowship. They don't know this yet. No, they do know this. (laughs) Thought I'd throw that out there. They're going to present us with a check today. Why? Lessons in faith. The people of Forest Hill Baptist believe that God wants to do something in this place. And not only did they take a step of faith to say, you know what, we're going to give this to Calvary Chapel Fellowship, but we're also going to take the remaining amount in our bank account and we're going to give it to God's glory to this church. Incredible. Lessons in faith. Uh, you're privileged as a church body to be able to be part of what God is wanting to teach you in this church. Jesus walking by the sea. Here's another lesson in faith. Look at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He now gets back and tells them to get into the boat. And then it says that while he sent the multitude away. You see, he told the disciples, I want you to go get into the boat. I'm going to stay back. He disperses. This multitude of people that were there. It's done. Go home. You know, go on your way. It's done. Jesus disperses them. And then we're told that he sent the multitude away and he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. That was typical. Jesus quite often did that. Got, him, got away on his own to go pray. And then it tells us this. Now when evening came which is like 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he was alone there. Here's Jesus alone on the top of this mountain, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, 3 o'clock or so in the afternoon, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea with the disciples in it. And it was beginning to kick up with the wind, and we're told that this boat was being tossed by the waves. It says that the wind was contrary. I mean, one gospel says it was a great wind. And it was just beating upon this boat. Here's Jesus up on the mountain, looking down on the Sea of Galilee as that wind would typically do and come across that sea and just whip up the water. And they're in this small little wooden fishing boat. And when all the disciples, or it says now in the fourth watch, look at your Bibles, verse 25. In the fourth watch, which is like three to six o'clock in the morning, it's dark outside. They're they're trucking across the Sea of Galilee. It's, It's sometime between three and six in the morning. And then we're told that Jesus went to them. Walking on the sea. That's a miracle. Don't ever believe the lie that people want to say that Jesus never really walked on water. He was just kind of walking on something that looked like it was like only ankle deep and he was really walking along the shore. No. He's out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee walking on the water. A miracle of God. And when all of the disciples saw him walking on the sea, it says that they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. They've never seen anything like that. 
Put yourself in that place. It's a ghost. They were afraid. It says that they cried out in fear. How do you think that that sound? Uh, How do you think that looked? As they cried out in fear. Lessons in faith. But then we're told in verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer or be of good courage. It is I, do not be afraid. That was the words that they needed to hear. That's the words that some of you this morning need to hear. Don't be afraid. Be of good courage. I'm with you. I've never left you. In all of your trials, in all of your difficulties, in all the things that you're going through, don't be afraid. I'm here. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Do you think Jesus was tickled to hear him say that? I think that Jesus was, I think he loved it. If it's you, let me get out on the water with you. Let me come to you. The Lord loves that when we're willing to step out of the boat. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. His faith held him. Your faith and your real faith and your strong faith and your courage in the Lord will hold you when everything else tells you it won't. It will. But then look what it says in verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, that it was boisterous. (laughs) We've been there how many times in life? Great faith one moment, the next moment, oh, I'm sinking. And it says that he became afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out saying, Lord, save me. I, I, I I think he screamed it out. God, save me. And immediately we're told that Jesus stretched out his hand and he caught him. And he said to him, Oh, ye of little faith. Why did you doubt? I almost see Peter there just with his head on his shoulder. And the Lord just speaking that into his ear. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You were so strong a moment ago. And now you're doubting. Lessons in faith. And when they got into the boat, we're told that the wind ceased. And then those who were in the boat came and they worshipped him saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. How much does it take for us to really lay our heart of worship out before the Lord? to really lay our hearts out before Him, to really just get prostrate before the Lord and worship Him. Do we need to see a miracle? Is there, is there, they, they just began to worship Him. Truly, you are the Son of God. Can we say that this morning? In Matthew, we see Jesus on a number of occasions saying these same words to his disciples. He already said it in chapter 6, verse 30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Notice that he doesn't say, O ye of no faith. He says, your faith is just little. It's not enough. It's not going to carry you the distance that you need to go. In Matthew 8, 26, Jesus was asleep in the boat on another occasion. Here he is sleeping in the boat as the winds kicked up again. But he said to them, why are you so fearful when they woke him up and said, we're all going to perish, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. 
lessons in faith. Matthew 16, 5 also tells us now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said to them, take heed and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they responded among themselves saying, it is because we have taken bread, but Jesus being aware of it said to them, O ye of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000? How many baskets you took up? Don't you remember? How many times has the Lord shown us something and proved his faithfulness to you? And you've rejoiced and you've worshipped him for it. And then all of a sudden you're doubting again. Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000. And we're going to read another feeding of 4,000. And how many large baskets you took up. How is it? You do not understand. There's that word again. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't always get it. And they didn't always walk in great faith. That's like you and I. And His grace is upon us. His mercy is upon us. But He loves you and He cares for you like a, like a father and a mother care for their children. And so he lets us go through those times of doubt. But there are many times that he's saying those same words to us, O ye of little faith. Lessons in faith. We all need to hear them. These were written for our admonition because we're people of like passion, same way. We'll close in chapter 14, verse 34 to 36. It says that when they had crossed over, now they're coming back towards Capernaum, and they came to the land of the Gennesaret, which is uh, just a little bit uh, south of Capernaum there on that same side of the seashore. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus... They sent out into all the surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick or all who were ill. They heard. They knew he's here, he's back. Go tell. Run out and go tell. Go get so. I mean, there, there wasn't doctor's offices on every corner. People all, a lot of times had to suffer with their ailments. But to know that they could maybe get a touch by Jesus... They ran out and they began to tell everybody. And it says, and then they came and they begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. <laughs> if I could just, just, just let me touch the hem. They knew the story. They heard about the story of the woman with the issue of blood that had touched the hem of his garment. And she was healed. Her faith made her whole. They're thinking the same thing. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. It's all I need to do. Lessons in faith. And as many as touched it, we're told we're made perfectly well. Huh. Incredible. And perfectly well. Now, all that would touch him. All that would come to him. All that had enough faith to get out of the boat. All that had enough faith to touch the hem of his garment were made whole. We don't want to be people of unbelief. Oh, he doesn't do those things anymore. He doesn't, he, he doesn't heal like that anymore. That was back then. You know, we, you know, that's not the same today. Go to a country where they don't have doctors and see how much they pray. See how much they look to the Lord and trust Him for their healing. 
We rely on doctors. Many of them have nothing but to rely on Him.